drum circle thing's intense. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can live up to that. Um, hey, I'm Weston. Glad you're here. I've been fighting uh, something since last Sunday. I'm. I don't think I'm contagious, but we probably shouldn't kiss. Mostly because I'm married. Um, um, <laughs> wow, this, it just got real. Um, so, anyways, that's that. Um, I do want to say this. Um, I don't want your cough drop. Um, when you do what I do, you have like a hundred mothers and grandmothers. And one time I was preaching, and this sweet little lady, she brought up a cough drop to me. And it's kind of awkward because you got everybody and you got a cough drop. And, and like, it had more um, tissue, lint on it than cough drop. I think it would like, would have like, it was sort of like a pre-made hairball and um, I opted against it. Um, I told her I didn't like menthol, which I don't because it actually dries your voice out. But um, anyway, so keep it to yourself. Thank you. Um, what are we talking about today? Oh, a couple things. It's a little slow. It's going to be one of those days, so some of you are in for a treat. Um, uh, gifts for the king. That's what it was. Thank you. Thank you. There's all these screws up here. See, I leave for a week, and things happen. Um, gifts for the king is coming up. I've had people ask me about it. Hey, when are we going to find out about gifts for the king? It is coming this week. We're, we're finalizing a few details for that. For those of you that are new, gifts for the king is our one and only special offering that we do the entire year. Uh, we obviously, uh, everything is dependent upon folks who give because they believe in what's happening here. And so we encourage you to do that. Uh, the easiest way to do that is the app. But once a year, we do ask everybody to help us with a special one-time gift. And we, we try to divide that between community-based needs and needs here in our church and our facility, things that we just don't have the budget for normally but that we need to do in order to make our facility continue to be welcoming. And, and so we've got some projects that we're going to share with you, um, but, uh, but save the date, plan on that. Um, it's coming up. we got a lot of cool stuff happening in December. Um, we're going to do a, a breakfast potluck worship Sunday. I, I know. Who doesn't love a good breakfast potluck worship Sunday? How many of you have been to a breakfast potluck worship Sunday before? Really? Seriously, have you been? I thought I invented it. All right, okay. I didn't. All right. All right. Anyways, we're in a series right now. We're going through the book of Daniel, uh, not the weird part where he gets into the prophecy, although that's cool, too. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're just looking at the life of these individuals, of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and um, my ADD is in full force right now. Um, I think it's the cough drops. It's all the sugar. Um, wow. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, work. That's what we're talking about. So what we're trying to do is live out what the Apostle Paul calls us to in Colossians 3. Um, let's say this together because well, I'm going to let you say it. Here we go. Work. Too. Let's try it one more time. <laughs> Work willingly at whatever you do. Remember that. Wow, we won't do that again. Um, all right.
right, so just so everybody's up on the same page, I know we've all heard the story of Daniel, um, but Daniel was taken into captivity when he was a young man. Uh, he was taken to Babylon. That's where he was held in captivity. His nation had been conquered by the Babylonians, and they had exported uh, people, brought them in as exiles, um, primarily as slaves, and they were going to serve within the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, they weren't all slaves. I mean, they will move into a place where they have jobs because the Babylonian idea was that if we could move you out of your land, put you in our land, put other people in your land, then we'll just so break your spirit, you'll just sort of fold into who we are and everybody becomes Babylonians. That was the thought behind this. And many nations did this at the time. So anyway, so Daniel gets uh, you know brought out. He bring, he's brought out in exile forcibly. And he's given a really awesome job. He's given a job within... Uh, the government itself, and he becomes a leader. He becomes a trusted counselor and advisor, um, and this is pretty amazing, all the stuff that happens with him and King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar dies, and his sons, uh, King Belshazzar, who's recorded in the text that we're going to look at today, and King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who's not mentioned in the book of Daniel, they become co-regents over uh, the nation of Babylon. Now, uh, one of the interesting things, if you've studied history, um, for a long time, Belshazzar was not really attested to outside of the Bible. And so people were like, see, look, this is how we know the Bible's not true. Um, but then eventually, you give archaeology enough time, and they start to find stuff about King Belshazzar. And we find more historians that write about King Belshazzar. And this is how we learn about the co-regency. And so there's a lot of stuff happening here. And so you've got these two kings. And at this point in time, the Persians are a rising superpower uh, in the world. And with them being this rising superpower, they're starting to conquer all of these places, cities, kingdoms, regions. Uh, they eventually start to conquer all of the area that the Babylonians had, had conquered. And King Nabonidus goes out uh, to wage war against the Persians or the Medes and the Persians, some people refer to them as. And as he goes out, he is defeated, the army's defeated, uh, and he's presumed dead. And so uh, with that, now we're left with one king. This is King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar decides that he's going to throw a feast inside of the city of Babylon. Uh, this feast is recorded in Daniel chapter 5. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, and this is attested to by ancient historians. Um, there's several ancient historians who talk about this feast. And people kind of go like, well, what's the point of this feast? Because what's not recorded in the book of Daniel directly is that the night that they're feasting, the entire Persian army is camped around the entire city of Babylon. Uh, they are camped around the city of Babylon, and they are ready to uh, sort of take the city down. Now, here's the thing. Uh, this isn't sort of an eat, drink, tomorrow we die kind of celebration. They believe that they are safe, that they're sound, and that they're going to win. You see, there were walls around the city of Babylon. Uh, there was two sets of walls. The outermost was 17 miles long. Uh, they were 25 feet in width and 40 feet in height. So 25 wide, 40 tall. Uh, a pretty formidable uh, wall to go through. And you've got two sets of these. They had stockpiled loads of food inside of the city. They had all manner of supplies. And not only that, they had a major uh, sort of canal, a channel of the Euphrates River uh, flowing underneath the walls of Babylon coming into the city and so they had food they had water they had a super great defense system and so they are gathered and they are thinking man that this is going to be a battle but we're going to win now ancient historians herodotus and xenophon i don't know why we don't name kids that anymore um 
they are there, and they're, they're, they write about this, and they write how the Persian army is camped around this, and we're trying to figure out, like, why are they having this festival? Uh, two possible reasons really rise to the top. One is Belshazzar has decided that it would be good for the people of Babylon to realize that he is the one and only king. And so that's what, you know, some people think, is that he is throwing this feast to sort of cement his power in place uh, as the, the regent, as the king of the Babylonian Empire, uh, shrinking as it is. Uh, it's shrinking so much that, in fact, Babylon is the last city that's there. There's another possible reason, and more likely, is that what they're doing is they're engaged in a festival of worship to one of the gods of Babylon. And that uh, Xenophon, the historian, uh, I know so many of you are very familiar with Xenophon's work, um, but <clears throat> I, I wasn't until I did the study for this, by the way. Um, but he records that this was, in fact, the reason they picked this night is because they knew the Babylonians would be uh, feasting and engaged in drinking and that this would be an excellent evening to break into the town of Babylon. Now, here's what they did. They actually diverted the water out of this canal and started running it into a marsh. So slowly, 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 the uh, water level starts to, to decrease. And eventually what's going to happen this evening, and we're going to get to it, um, the city's going to be broken into as the Persian army wades through the river that is now lowered into the city of Babylon and takes it completely, takes the whole city that night. Now, that's what we know historically happens. Daniel 5 gives us a picture of what's happening inside the city. It says, King Belshazzar uh, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, this is probably not an offense just to Israel's God alone. Uh, we're hearing this story from the perspective of Daniel, who is concerned most with the God of Israel, uh, the God who sent to us Jesus Christ. Uh, but Belshazzar, he has desecrated these holy objects. Now, some people might go, well, what's the point of this? Like, why would you do this? And, and the answer is this, is it's an act of propaganda. Um, you have got all of these noble folks there. You've got all of the wealthy of, of the city of Babylon. You've got powerful people, influential people, and you really are trying to help boost morale because you have an entire superpowers army camped around your city. And so what he's doing with this is he's saying, hey, listen, do you remember all these other gods? You remember the gods of Jerusalem, and you remember the gods of these other towns and these other people, and you remember all these other foreign gods? You remember how like they thought they were going to save them? Now, we've, we've conquered them. Our gods are more powerful. And so Belshazzar brings in probably several sets of deistic, uh, you know, worship wear, and they're drinking from them uh, as an act to say, hey, our gods are most powerful. And this is the image he's trying to portray to the city, that in fact we can be confident because we know that our gods have conquered and that um, they are powerful. And the reality is this, is that we kind of do the same type of thing. We, we have this idea that success equals God's blessing. And that's where Belshazzar has, has been. He, he has sort of looked back on the past. 
of everything that's taken place in his, his history, in his father's history. And he says, you know what? Uh, because I've been successful, God must be happy with me. Because we've been successful, what we're doing clearly is working, and it must mean that divine favor rests upon us. Uh, we have this idea in our mind that, that success equals God's blessing, but in fact, it does not equal God's blessing. You see, Belshazzar, like many of us, confused the God of the Bible with the God of gold and thought, you know what, if, if everything's up and to the right and the prophet's up and to the right, then that must mean that God is happy with us. You know, if you stay healthy, you know, uh, performance is good, grades are good, all these kinds of things, business is good, you think, man, you know, my life is good, I've done all right for myself. And if God makes it into the equation, which often he doesn't when things are going well, I mean, let's just be honest, you know, we say to ourselves, man, you know, God must be happy. And we say, man, God, it must be really great to be you and have somebody as awesome as me, um, you know, worship you. Like, he must be really happy about that. Um, and that's sort of like where we live our life. But then what happens when things go bad? Like, whose fault is it, right? It's God's fault. It's always God's fault. Like, when things go well, like, man, it's us. Man, I did that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but when things go bad, we're like, God... What are you coming down here and messing stuff up for? You know, why, why are you doing these things? Why have you done this to me? It, you see, we get, we get our minds so skewed, like so circumstantial. You know, our circumstances dictate our attitudes. It dictates how healthy our relationship is with God. Um, we've got this all kind of mixed up. It's not the way that it ought to be. We forget that Jesus actually died to make us holy, not happy. It's not that Jesus doesn't want you to be happy. I think that he would rather you be happy than sad and rather you be happy than frustrated. But he came so that you could be made right with God. He came so that you could become more like him. And sometimes, you know, maturity and growing up, it's a process and it's hurt sometimes and it's uncomfortable. That's just life. That's just how it is. And yet so often in our lives we think, man, if I'm not pleasant, if things aren't you know, going the way we want it to be, uh, then God must not be happy with me. But you see, God's got a bigger agenda. His agenda isn't just that way you sort of like would smile at the end of the day and be like, yeah, you know, thumbs up, you know, great, great day one more time. Um, God is trying to shape you into the person he's created you to be and the person he's calling you to be. You see, the story of the Bible isn't like your story. It's not my story. The Bible isn't about how your life gets better. And I think sometimes we, we struggle with this. Sometimes we look at Scripture and we assume that what it's there for is to help us be successful. But the truth of the matter is that Scripture has been recorded to show us what God is doing to win the world back to himself. You see, apart from God, uh, the world is broken and it is, it's a rough spot. God is trying to reconcile the world back to save us. You see, the, the story isn't about you and it's not about me because God does not exist to make you successful. Now we're going to pause. Um, word from our sponsor, Purified Drinking Water, Great Value. Although I filled it up with tap water earlier because I don't like cold water. Um, so here we are, Belshazzar. He thinks that God exists to make him successful, right? Because he brings these goblets out and he's, he's got this sort of like this mindset that, you know, if I use these goblets from other gods, then what will end up happening is they will bless me because they exist to make me happy. And, and I think sometimes we do the same type of thing in, in our own work. You know, moving here from California was a real interesting dynamic. As a matter of fact, some, some friends 
uh, several years ago came from Colorado and we started talking about the difference of ministry in the town of Boulder um, and, you know, the town of Bowling Green, Kentucky. And this one thing popped up is, is really prominent here is uh, social Christianity. Um, it's being a Christian is advantageous for you socially and professionally in our community. And, and so, I mean, there are people within churches, maybe even in this church, where, where you come to church as a means of, you know, sort of bolstering your business. Um, you know, I, I, we don't have any here, but like the realtors that wear like those giant like eight and a half by 11 name tags. that like got their name and their picture like when they were in uh, like high school prom and, um, you know, like realtor of the year, Diamond Platinum Club, you know, and they're like like a military general, like several things hanging off of it. Uh, we don't have that happening here, but, you know, some folks, I mean, like church is a networking thing. You know, you put that little fish symbol on your business ad, and, and man, now everybody's like, oh, man, they're a Christian. They must be like a, a good good business person, right? Um, you know, I, I it makes me uncomfortable sometimes when we use God, we invoke the name of Jesus in order to sort of promote our products. I, I think, in fact, it does, in fact, you know, diminish the value and the importance. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, man, we're a Christian business, and you know, we, we've got some things here that, you know, uh, we try to try to do, treat people right, and we try to do business well and honestly with integrity. I mean, I, I'm all 100% for that, and I know many people who, who take their business as an act of ministry, and many of you do that. But we all know people who use the name of God, who invoke the name of Jesus as though, like, they're, like, you know, his authorized endorsement, like the product, you know, they're the, the realtor or the plumber or the whoever for Jesus Christ. Uh, like God, God doesn't work like that. And so we've got to be careful, realize that, that we exist for God, not, not him for us. Like God does not exist to make us successful. And it's true that it comes to Belshazzar in a really terrifying way. Um, reality catches up with him here in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. It says, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Now, you might go, well, why, like, why the lampstand? Uh, Daniel's recording this. He says, I want you to know, like, it was well lit. Like, we could all see it. And the king watched the hand as it wrote. <coughs> his face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I love that little tidbit there that Daniel puts in there for you. So Belshazzar, what does he do? He's got this, this hand that just floats out there. What does he do? He sends for wise men, for astrologers, for the magicians to come and interpret this message that's been written on the wall. And here's the thing, nobody can interpret it. See, I've got my own, I don't need yours. You can imagine the terror that he's, that he's facing because here, I mean, just get the picture again, right? He's surrounded by an army, a superpower that has literally conquered every outpost but the city of Babylon. So we know what their agenda is. They're not there to sell Girl Scout cookies. They're there to take over, like, the tri-state area. They're there to take over the world. That's the plan. And he is now he's there. They've been having this big party, and now all of a sudden this hand comes floating out of the wall and, like, starts graffitiing the palace. And he's going, man, this is not my night. And so he tries to bring all these people in, and nobody knows what's going on until the queen shows up. Now, the queen isn't actually probably not, it's probably not his wife. The queen is probably his mother. And the queen very likely is Nebuchadnezzar's wife, somebody who actually remembered what God had done in the past. Now, just to bring everybody, you know, again, back on the same table, Nebuchadnezzar had had his own run-in with God. 
where he steps out and he's like, man, I'm such an amazing guy. You know, I've done all this myself. Nobody helped me. And God humbles him in that moment. And he makes him, the text is like a wild animal. And he goes away for a season of time and then comes back humbled with a new view of reality and who God is. And so Nebuchadnezzar's wife, the queen, she shows up and she says, you know what you need to do? Stuff, weird stuff like this used to happen with your dad. Call for Daniel. Daniel's the guy that seems to know what's happening. And so Daniel gets called in and Belshazzar's like, hey, I'm going to make you like third most important in the kingdom. I'm going to give you like a gold chain and some swag and it's going to be really awesome. And Daniel's like, you can keep all that because your reign is going to be very short lived. Thanks for playing. And Daniel starts to tell Belshazzar what's going on. He says, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. You see, here's what happened. The nation of Israel fell to Babylon, not because Babylon was so powerful, but because God had withdrawn his protection from the nation of Israel and from the nation of Judah. God had withdrawn his protection and, and Nebuchadnezzar is able to come in, not because he's so amazing, but because God had actually said, I'm going to be on Nebuchadnezzar's side. I'm going to show my people what happens when they reject me, and I'm no longer there to protect them. Uh, but his heart becomes proud. This is Nebuchadnezzar's. And hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Daniel's saying, listen, you know the truth. You should know what God's capable of. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. In other words, battle lines are drawn, Belshazzar, and you're the one that dug yourself into this position. You had goblets from his temple brought to you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines and drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You see, here's what Daniel's saying to him. It's pretty simple. Is listen, you should have known better. You should have known who is, in fact, the king of the universe. You should have known who, in fact, is the Lord of all. And Belshazzar, you may have thought that you were elevating yourself, but really, it's just, it's an illusion. It's a falsehood. Because God is not uh, in the business to make your business succeed. God is not in the business of making you happy. He's trying to help you get oriented to reality. You know, anytime we look at passages in Scripture, we have to compare them to Jesus and ask ourselves, what does this teach us about Jesus? Or how does this, you know, improve our understanding of who Christ is? And I know sometimes we get stuck in the Old Testament. We get hung up on all of this, this battle and this conquering and all these things. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint. He is the representation of God. And so we have to look at everything and say, how does this point us to or away from Jesus? And the answer is, is simply this. God is withdrawing his blessing from Nebuchadnezzar as he did from Judah because he doesn't want these people to become so oriented around themselves that what ends up happening is they forget him. You see, Augustine got it right when he said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Uh, I mean, in, in life, imagine if your GPS you know, was close. Uh, imagine if your GPS, instead of like pointing to the north, it pointed like northeast. And it just sort of like was just always just a little off by like, you know, just like a half a mile. Like you wouldn't think that that was good. And if it was always off by half a mile and you decided you're going to take a road trip from here to Florida, how far off would you be? 
you'd be off by miles. You wouldn't end up in the destination you wanted to be. You see, our lives the same way. We were created in the image of God, and when we forget that, and we think that God was created in our image, which we do this all the time, then what ends up happening is our life gets off track, and it takes us to a place that we don't want to be. So what I want to challenge us to is this is to keep God first in our work by doing two things. One is giving thanks in every victory. You know, Belshazzar could have used those goblets. That's the thing I think we overlook. He could have used those goblets as an act of worship. He could have said, you know, God, you have brought us this far. God, you gave this kingdom to my father. God, you are the one who reigns supreme over the universe. God, you are that. But he doesn't. He uses those, those goblets to worship himself, to worship the gods of wood, stone, you know, gold, bronze, all those other things. You see, you know, we need to give thanks for victory. You know, if you're in business, man, I hope that you're successful. I hope that you do well. I hope that your business grows. You know, there's a Dave Thomas, you've heard of him, right? Wendy's, you know, he was a man of faith. He was connected with the disciples of Christ Church through Harlan Sanders of KFC fame. There's a whole thing there. We don't have time to get into that right now as much as I want to. Um, but he had a set of five guiding principles, Dave Thomas, not Colonel Sanders. Um, here's what they were, that quality is our recipe, do the right thing, treat people with respect, profit is not a dirty word, and then five is giving back. You see, Dave Thomas understood, you know, if we treat people right and we do the right thing, guess what? We can be profitable. There is nothing wrong with that. And they said, man, let's make sure we give back. Let's celebrate and be generous when God is generous with us. So listen, have victory, but give thanks for it. Don't sit around like Belshazzar and say, man, you know what? Nobody's, nobody does this quiet like me. You know, there's a little bit of humility in us. We say, God, thank you for the capacity and the opportunity to succeed. Second is this, pray and plan together. I know often in life, you know, we, we view these as separate things. Like we're going to pray first thing in the morning or on the way in the car or when things go bad or when you buy a Powerball ticket or whatever. Um, and then we're going to plan separately. You know, like I got to think this through. I got to do this. I, I would challenge you to, to bring prayer into your planning regardless of what your business is or what you do, say, God, would you help us to plan wisely? Would you help us to plan for the future? I love this passage in James. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city. We'll spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. If we haven't learned this lesson in the last two years, we're, gonna, we're, in, we're in a mess. You know what I'm saying? James is saying, listen, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're like, acting like you're going to go and do business for a whole year, and, and you have confidence to say this? He says, no, 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 that's not how this works. He says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Again, humility is introduced in this. Uh, prayer, hey, God, we, we intend to go to this place. We intend to go for a year. We intend to do this business. Lord, we ask for your blessing and your direction and your guidance. And God, if at some point in time this is not the right plan, God, would you make that clear to us? Would you make that clear to us? You see, I think God wants to partner with us in these moments. The problem is we don't invite him into it. We don't invite him into our planning. We don't invite him into our victories. And so we start to forget that he's involved in this from the very beginning. So here's what I want to do this morning as the worship team comes out. I want us to just take a moment and pray. I know Thanksgiving's coming this week, um, and we got lots of plans to do lots of things, go lots of places. Have you seen what air travel's like? 
let's pray about that. You know, we're going to be traveling. We're going to be driving. You know, let's pray about that. Maybe you've got some big things your business has to do this year uh, before the year comes to a close. And you got some plans. Man, let's pray for that. Or maybe as we think about Thanksgiving, you've got something amazing that's happened. I want to hold out just a few moments of quiet for you to pray and say, God, thanks for the victories. God, would you be with us as we move forward? Let's just take some time right now to do that, to actually put this into practice. So go ahead and bow your heads, and let's pray and do that. you've shown up in my family's life and for the way that you're here and in our, our good health. God, as we think about um, this next year, as we think about the end of this year, God, we have so many plans. And God, it is my prayer that you would be in each of them. God, as we meet family this week, and some of them we're looking forward to, and some of them we're, you know, we're glad we only have to see them once a year. Uh, God, would you be with us in those moments? God, would you be in our conversations and around our dinner tables this week? God, for those people that are driving, uh, would you watch over them? God, for those that are flying, uh, would you keep unruly passengers at a minimum and, and flight delays at a minimum? And God, if at any point in time things were planning, Lord, if, if, if that's not really the right move, Lord, would you just make that clear to us? And God, if you should come and interrupt our plans, would we not fight you? Instead, Lord, would we just accept sometimes that you show up in ways that we don't know, understand, or expect that you do it because you love us. So, God, I guess what I'm really praying is that you would change the posture of our hearts, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would recognize that you are Lord and that we're not. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Man, it's been great.